0: Historical Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 this morning. I'm going to read from the NIV. It says this, now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm going to start a series this morning that will go over the next few weeks on Jesus' teaching on what we've come to know as the B attitudes. Would you stretch your hands and pray for me as I do the same for you? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your spirit in this place today. Thank you for everything that has gone on, the worship and song and music, Sunday school classes that have happened. Thank you for the worship and tithes and offerings. And now we come to this place in the service where we pull ourselves up to the master's table. And Lord, we just ask that you'd have your way. Lord God, we're going to sow seed here today and I pray that the seed would fall onto good ground and bring forth a harvest a hundredfold. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice here in this room, listening by podcast, open their hearts, their minds, their spirits. Lord, do what only you can do in their lives right now in Jesus' mighty name. I pray that you'd help me, God. I can't do this on my own. I'm only an earthen vessel, imperfect in so many ways, and I rely on your strength. I pray that your word would be like fire shut up in my bones today, Lord. Let me preach like a man from another world. God, I just thank you and praise you for all your blessings. Father God, as we stand here today, I'm fully aware this is the 21st anniversary of One of the worst tragedies in the history of the United States of America. Father, there are still families, God, that are hurting because loved ones that were lost. Lost in those towers. Not only those that were lost in those towers, but those as war ensued. Lord, I just pray for your comfort. I pray for your peace. And Lord, all I know to do is to pray what you did, Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that you just wrap your arms around us, Lord. Help us, O oh God, to be lovers of peace. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you for all your blessings. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody in the house said, amen. I want to start a series this morning called The Beatitudes. Everybody say The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is part of probably Jesus' most famous teachings. Uh, it's included in, in a whole on what we would call the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount before? Have you, ever, have you ever heard of the Beatitudes before? And so the Beatitudes are a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 2, Matthew had paralleled Jesus with Moses. And he points out at this time that Jesus is, of course, greater than Moses. Now, most of you, if you study the Bible very much at all, you've probably heard about it. And if you've heard me preach a time or two, I mention of how there are many things in the Old Testament that were types and shadows pointing toward what was going to come to pass through Jesus Christ and in the Old Testament. How many of you know today that that Moses was a type? He was one of those types of Christ in the Old Testament pointing toward what was going to come, what Jesus was going to do. And Matthew then confirms that in chapter 2, paralleling Jesus with Moses. But how many of you know today that the shadow is not nearly as great as the actual thing? Come on, somebody. Now, you can stand somewhere, and you can cast a shadow, and I'm probably not the best one to do this. I could probably take somebody a lot more better looking like my wife, and you can take her and put her and you could have a shadow of her and it would give you some idea of who of who she is or what she might look like but I don't know if you know the shadow is nothing like the real thing. And so Matthew gives us then uh, this confirmation that yes, Moses was a type, a shadow of Jesus pointing toward him coming. But of course, we know that Jesus is greater than Moses. In fact, how many of you know today that there ain't nobody better than Jesus here? There is nobody that has ever been that is greater than Jesus Christ. He is the best that has ever been. And so as Matthew talks about this, the parallel, I believe, at this point is no accident. Because of this parallel with Moses and the fact that Moses gave the law from Mount Sinai, it is probably no accident that Jesus then begins his teaching on ethics of the new kingdom on the side of the Mount. You know, it's things like this. I know you say, well, pastor, is this really important? Honestly, I think it is because it's one of those things that just over and over and over. Over, confirm to me how great God is and how much of a plan he has. That none of this stuff is coincidence, amen? None of this stuff just happened. It all was in the plan and the purpose of God. It was in the plan and the purpose of God that on the side of, on the side of Mount Sinai that Moses would stand there and give Israel the Ten Commandments, those 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 bedrocks, uh, those cornerstones of, of, of law, uh, of how we should act. Act of how we should be our ethics in a sense. And I don't believe it's any accident then that thousands of years later when Jesus Christ would come, the mo- the one that Moses was a type of, that Jesus, the true fulfillment would come and what would he do? He would stand on the side of a mountain and he would teach and he would preach about the ethics then of the new kingdom that were to co- that is coming and is here now and he was ushering in. Now there are some that believe That the requirements that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount are impossible to keep, and they simply describe how God's kingdom will be in its end time fulfillment. However, the consensus of the church, both ancient and modern, is that Jesus considered the ethics in this sermon possible to observe by the power of God's grace. Now I'll stand up here and tell you today, you can't do it on your own. Now I wish you'd look at somebody besides you, make sure they're awake and say, you can't do it on your own. What we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, you can't do it on your own. But however, I do believe that it's through the grace of God that you can do it. Now look at that same person. Make sure they're still awake and say, but you can do it through God's grace. (laughs) You see, I need you to hear me today and listen to me about something about grace. Because grace is much more than just the forgiveness of sins. It is also the power not to sin. Oh, I knew it'd be quiet there. I said, grace is not just about the forgiveness of sins. It's also about the power not to sin. Now, now we love to talk about grace in the sense, and thank you, Jesus. I am thankful that, yes, grace is certainly about the forgiveness of sins. It's only by the grace of God that he has forgiven me of my sins. But I can't rightly stand up behind the pulpit as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and simply say, grace. is only about the forgiveness of sins? Absolutely not. Because grace is just as much, if not more, about giving you the power not to sin. Now I'm not talking about you're ever going to be perfect or I'm ever going to be perfect here on this earth because thank God that's where that grace to forgive sin still comes in. But I also believe as men and women of God maturing in Christ, disciples of Christ, following after Him, that I believe that we will grow in Christ, be strengthened in Christ, and by the grace of God, I don't have to live a life of sin. I don't have to mess up all the time that He will give me the strength and the grace and the power to not sin. So let's look at this as if you're a note taker. This is still I'm kind of this. I'm gonna be honest. Some of you are gonna get nervous because when I get to the point and I only start on the first one, you're gonna be like, "Oh Lord, we're gonna be here till tonight." I'm actually gonna hit only one, the first one of the actual beatitudes, because I want to build a foundation, give you a background here. The name beatitudes; these pronouncements get their formal name from the Latin word beatitudo, which is how the Vulgate The Latin Bible, let me stop for just a second and just remind you, give you a little quick teaching. I know some of you here know this, but some of you may not. How many of you know that the original New Testament, it was written in the Koine Greek, the the common Greek language. When when Matthew wrote this, he was writing this in Greek. years later, uh, one of the first Bibles translated out of Greek by the Catholic Church was written in the Latin language. And so it was in Latin where this word originally, where we kind of start digging into this, comes from beatitudo that came from that Vulgate, the Latin Bible. But it came from the Greek word makarios. That's in verses 3 through 11. Now this form of saying did not originate from Jesus. Y'all hold on with me. Please don't get lost here. I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. This form of sin did not originate from Jesus. Now, of course, we know in the beginning was the word. Of course, in the original, original, everything good came from Jesus. Somebody say amen. But, but this didn't just show up. This form did not just show up when Jesus shows up in the flesh in the New Testament. It frequently occurs in the Psalms and the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And while the form and the Spirit of the Beatitudes come from the Jews the uniqueness of Jesus teachings show that he brought their form and their spirit to Fulfillment. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law. You see, what Jesus began to do on the side of that mount that day was he began to take in the same style, in the same form, that which they were familiar with, and now he begins to say, yes, I gave you this a long, long time ago, and this is what you had to work with, but now I'm about to tell you how this can be even better, how this can be even more improved, Oh, aren't you glad for Jesus taking that and improving it and blessing it and showing them that I'm going to bring fulfillment to what you've seen. You've tried to live like this for years, but you've not been able to. You've tried to fulfill the law, but there was just no way that you could fulfill it. But now through grace, through Jesus Christ and his grace, you're going to be able to begin to live this through my spirit. So each beatitude includes three sections. There is the state, Now, when we preach it from this, we always tend to say blessed, because that's just the tradition of how you can say it blessed, you can say it blessed, however you want to. There is the state, there is the condition, and then there is the reward. So, so let's stop for a second. And let's back up because I told you we get this name Beatitudo comes from that Latin Bible, but that comes originally from the Greek word which is what this was originally written in. So let's go back to that original and really begin to dig down into this. So y'all don't freak out on me. Don't go to sleep on me. Let's go. This is not going to, we're going to get going here. I'm just laying, somebody look at your neighbor, shake him. say he's laying a foundation. Listen, I've sat through some of these two and I, I listen, I'm like, Oh dear God, where is this preacher going? Hold on with me. We're laying a foundation. So we go back to this Greek word, makarios, the word that we're saying, blessed, makarios, what does it mean? It's really difficult to express in English the force of this Greek word and its underlying Hebrew concept. Remember what I told you earlier, that this that Jesus began to teach, this was not mind blowing this was not something that I've never heard anything like this remember I told you this came from the Old Testament it's from the Psalms and the wisdom literature and now Jesus begins to improve it and, and begins to show them even more and bring this to fulfillment how many of you know I know we've got a lot of different people here today how many of you that speak other language, how many of you know that there is stuff that gets lost in translation somebody you can't go directly from one language to another most of the time you're going to lose some stuff So what I want us to do is try to pick some of this up and get what this word makarios means. Translations vary. They vary from blessed, to fortunate, to happy, to well off, and even congratulations. And it's not just a benediction or a pronouncement of blessing extended to hearers who qualify. In other words, this is not just do this, I'll give you a quarter. I'm not going to say the movie, but you know, there's there's a movie, and you know, I'm not promoting this movie. There's a movie that some of y'all are probably going to watch it here in the next few months. You know, it's like Rusty, if you'll rub my bunion, I'll give you a quarter. You know, it's not that, it's not that thing that you that you do. That no, it's not that kind of thing. It is a statement of reality or essence of those who exhibit the virtue mentioned. Example is this. We're not going, do this, I'll give you a quarter, but we're saying it more like this. If you exercise regularly, you'll be a more healthy Person, In other words, what Jesus is trying to do here and what so many people get tore up about and lose is, and people say, well, you know, it's I don't just want to go by a list of rules and regulations. Well, let me tell you, this is what Jesus is trying to get through to you. Jesus doesn't want you to just simply try to go through a list of rules and regulations. No, what does he want to do? He wants to change your very essence, your very being. He wants to change who you are. On the inside. In other words, a given back in the Old Testament when Moses stood on the side of the mountain and said, Thou shalt not kill. What Jesus is wanting you to do, and even though I'm sure that every one of us at some point of the one at some point or the other has wanted to just, just kill somebody at some point because they made you so mad, God is not wanting you to just not go kill somebody because you know there is a law or a rule that said, No, he wants to change the essence of you that says there's no desire on the inside side of me to even do that. One commentator said it like this, could y'all give me a little bit more? Y'all gave it and then you took it away. Job said it, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. (laughs) The Beatitudes thus outline the attitudes of the true disciple, the one who has accepted the demands of God's kingdom in contrast with the man of this world. And they present this as the best way of life not only in its intrinsic, intrin, intrinsic goodness, but in its results. In other words, listen, this is the, can I just tell you this, what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, this is the best way to live. This is not just, hey, follow these rules, you know, and you'll feel good about yourself. Follow these rules, and you'll get some kind of... No, I want to tell you this, that uh, that when we follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, that is the best way that you can possibly live here on planet Earth. The devil's going to lie to you, and your flesh is going to lie to you, and other people are going to try to lie to you and say, you don't want to do all that. That's not... What I want you to hear me today is this. I'm not another preacher trying to just stand up here and trying to just tell you you got to go by this rule and this rule and this rule. No, I'm telling you that God Almighty in heaven wants to change the very essence of who you are, and if you will let him change who you are on the inside, then it is the best way that you can possibly live on this planet earth. You will live a blessed life. Somebody say Amen. So no single English word successfully expresses this. So I told y'all, don't panic. Here we are at number one, and this is the only one we're going to hit after we've laid the foundation. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now the phrase poor in spirit has many meanings. You can look at it. It means being humble, unassuming, wretched, lacking in material things since the individual described as voluntarily poor for the sake of God's kingdom, being devoid of materialism and covetousness. Now interpreting this can be difficult when we read Luke's version and Luke chapter 6 and verse 20 says this, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God, which he then goes on in verse 24 of chapter 6 to contrast with, but woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. So we think about this, and we think about, you know, what, what is, what's the solution here? What is the Lord really trying to tell us here? Do I need to be poor? You know, let's, let's just stop and be honest for a second, you know. When we look at this, we say, well, God, do, you, do, I just need a, do I need to be dirt poor? Do I need to move into a hut somewhere? Do I need to not have anything? Do I need to be absolutely just poor to be able to be blessed? Well, the solution lies in the Hebrew understanding of the word poor. And it comes from a word I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but it's spelled P-T-O-C-H-O-S. So I want you to know I'm not just making this up, but I also ain't going to butcher it trying to pronounce it. So when we begin to understand, of course we know Jesus here is a Hebrew and he's teaching to many Hebrews. And so as he uses this word, they're using their understanding of this Hebrew concept of the word poor. Now it can mean, it can refer to a socioeconomic understanding. So in other words, yes, it can understand. Can I just say it like this? It can refer to the fact you are broke as a convict. Broke as a joke. However you want to say, you got, you are overdrawn on your checking account. You ain't got nothing. Yes, it can refer to a socioeconomic standing. But the word poor in the Hebrew understanding also connotes a dependency on another person who can call one to account for his or her actions. And I believe that that is what God is trying to get through to us here. But the psalmist, you see, the psalmist often express their dependency on God in terms of poverty. In other words, even a king should see himself as poor as he stands before God. You see, David was a king. David was a very rich man, but even as he wrote in the Psalms, he would often express his dependency on God in terms of being poor. I told you here that this is referring to the fact that you are dependent, dependent on another person who can call one into account for their actions. In other words, you could be living in a palace. You could be eating the best food. You could be driving the best vehicles or in this time riding the best horses or whatever it may have been. But the fact of the matter is it wasn't because of you that you had it. Because the one who owned it could call you on the carpet at any moment. Can I just tell you this? How do you be poor in spirit? How do you still have a little money in the bank, a little money in your pocket, and still be considered poor in spirit. I tell you, it's by by this way that you realize that everything that you have, God could call it back in a moment. I know that I joked a little bit just a second ago about Job saying the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Job was a wealthy man, but in a moment, in just a few hours time, he went from being one of the most wealthy people on the planet to being one of the most poor people on the planet when God called it back. Can I just tell you something today? I want to be poor in the spirit in the fact that I've got to realize that anything I have, yes, it may have taken some hard work. Yes, it may have taken some determination, but ultimately my source is the Lord. I believe what the word says that promotion doesn't come from the north, the south, the east, or the west, but promotion comes from the Lord. That every good and perfect gift, everything that I have that is good, God
1: has blessed me with it. You see, Luke's use of poor appears at first to be saying that poverty
0: itself is a blessing. He he contrasts the poor and the rich four different times in his gospel. So he asks, well, why is this? Well, the rich are not rejected for simply having wealth, but for reveling in self-sufficiency. I'm going to say that one more time. The rich are not rejected for simply having wealth, but for reveling in self-sufficiency. You've heard me stand up here many times and talk about the fact that God had his hand on people who had some stuff. Abraham was a wealthy man, and God had his hand on him. Job was a wealthy man. God took it, but God gave it back, and then in the end, he had what? He had double for his trouble. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. Somebody say amen. But we go throughout the Scripture. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man who was in turn, because of his wealth and his power, used to be able to take Jesus' body off the cross and anoint it and place it in his borrowed tomb. You see, the rich are not rejected for having wealth. David was wealthy. Solomon was wealthy. The rich are not simply rejected for simply having wealth, but for reveling in self-sufficiency. When we find Luke in the book of chapter 16 of his gospel, we find the rich man is condemned for his lack of concern for Lazarus. Why was the rich man in hell and Lazarus in heaven in this story? Because Not because the man was rich, not because the man had a lot of stuff, but because all all he wanted was something about him. It was all about him and what he had, and he stepped over Lazarus time and time again and cared absolutely nothing for Lazarus. We go in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't receive judgment from the Holy Ghost for not giving all. Take you to a story in the book of Acts, in case you don't know it, there's a man, a woman named Ananias and Sapphira. People were selling stuff and bringing the money to the church. One day, a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they decided they were seeing people getting all this attention. Let's just be honest, it's probably you know, it's going on in the church. People were coming, and they said, I sold this, and here's the money. Everybody, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, bless God. I think Ananias and Sapphira saw that, and they're like, we need to get in on some of that. So they sold some land, and they got a certain amount of money. And then they went to the church. And what did they do? They lied about how much they got. This is not this is not correct. This is just me giving you an example. If they sold it for a thousand bucks, they came and brought five hundred to the church and said, Oh, we sold this land and here's all the money that we got. When in reality they got a thousand and they kept it. Listen, and God struck both of them dead in the church. Now I'm gonna stop for just a second. I don't want to get anybody nervous or anything, but sometimes I think we do forget the fact that, you know, there's a whole lot of, sometimes when I've talked to my kids about scriptures in the Old Testament, man, there's a lot of crazy stuff that went on in the Old Testament. God killed a whole lot of people when they didn't act right. But can I just tell you uh, and remind us that God did even in the New Testament after the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and even after the Holy Ghost had been poured out on the day of Pentecost, God killed some folks up in church. I know y'all ain't going to amen too loud on that, <laughs> but the reason that he did was not because they didn't give it all, but it was about lying about that they did. In other words, God didn't care that Ananias and Savira had land or had sold the land and had some money, but Peter looked at them and said, you have lied to the Holy Ghost. They were so foolish to think that they could come up in the church, lie to everybody else. Listen, you could come up in here and you could lie to the pastor, and I'm not that smart. You could probably fool me. There's some folks in this room today that are smarter than me, and you could lie to them, and if you're a good enough liar, you could probably fool them too. But I just need to remind you, there's one that you cannot fool, and that is God. He knows it all. He sees it all. In fact, he knows the very intent of your heart. And the reason that Ananias and Sapphira was struck dead in the middle of a church service was because they lied to the Holy Ghost and not because they had any bit of
1: money so the poor in spirit are those that realize they are morally spiritually
0: and even physically bankrupt without the grace of god in other words they realize their ever present need of god can i tell you that's just i believe that's part of growing in christ i've been serving him just all my life. And yet still every day I've got to come to a new realization that I am in desperate need of the grace of God. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I've been blessed. I've had very, very few. I don't get sick very much. I, I, I don't, I've been blessed, thank God, with a good immune system. I've been blessed with, I've never, I've, broken a couple fingers before fractured them. That's about it. I've been blessed with good health. Why is that? Well, we know, yeah, there's, you know, you can talk about all that, but listen, when it comes down to it, I got to just say it's by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God that I woke up this morning breathing. It's by the grace of God this morning that I woke up in my right mind. It's by the grace of God that I was able to sling my feet over to the side of the bed and stand up on my own power. It's by the grace of God that I was able to walk and get me something to drink. It's by the grace of God that I had a home to sleep in last night. It's by the grace of God that I got to drive over to Sonic and get me a sausage breakfast burrito this morning. It's by the grace of God that I got to come in, sit down in a nice office and look over my sermon. It's by the grace of God that I got to come in here with this good-looking group of people today called the Startful Church of God and worship together and preach to you. It's by the grace of God that I've got a beautiful wife and two beautiful daughters. It's by the grace of God that I live in a country where we're still blessed and we're still free. It's by the grace of God that my soul is saved. It's by the grace of God that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And no matter how many blessings, God places on my life I must always be reliant on Jesus Christ and know that I must be poor in spirit and never be proud and never think that I've arrived because everything I have worth anything is because of
1: God give God praise if you believe that here today I forgot to turn around and tell y'all until I just turned around. This this is a, nobody knows
0: exactly where, but this picture on the screen is a picture of the general area where they believe that Jesus was. In fact, this building on the right of this picture is the church. I believe they call it the Church of the Beatitudes. And if you see that inside part there, it is a octagon. Octagon is eight, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) It is octagon... On the inside, because we find in the scripture eight beatitudes and their representations on that wall. So I didn't just think that was a pretty picture there just to put it on there. That is actually where Jesus possibly may have done it. And I believe in the 1930s, an Italian guy designed this church. And as far as I know, as as of this morning, that church is still standing there. So we find we have an ever present need of God as being poor in spirit. We see that the kingdom of heaven then, what is I told you that there is the blessing, we find there is the, the, the condition, and then we find that there is a reward. So we find what? Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? There the, is the kingdom of heaven.
1: So the kingdom of heaven belongs to them that are poor in spirit. When one is part of a kingdom, one has a king. Now, we as
0: Americans don't particularly like the idea of a king. Now, please, please stay with me. Nobody get mad at me. I, I, I regret the passing of Queen Elizabeth. I, you know, I, as far as I know, she was a, a great queen. But listen, I, I've never understood Americans' fatuation with the royal family. I know everybody, all the women used to, some of y'all young folks, y'all have no idea. But how many of y'all are old enough? You remember when Princess Diana had the wreck and she died and everything that happened? Listen, I don't, I'm not being unpassionate, unconsiderate about people dying and all that. What I'm telling you is, listen, a, as a red-blooded American, there, I just, in history, I wasn't around. I'm not that old, but I believe in 1776 is when we decided we didn't want a king anymore we didn't want uh, we didn't want taxation without representation and so there was that whole thing that happened the declaration of independence we decided we didn't want a king i've never been fascinated with the royalty and all that kind of stuff it seemed to seem like you they've been putting up a bunch of money for folks that don't do anything to me but hey i got to i'm getting in the flesh now say lord help him but I'm te- I am telling you this because I do believe that we as Americans, some of us, we don't particularly like the idea of a king. And if you are even fascinated with the royal family in Britain, I don't think any of us are particularly wanting, no matter what side of the aisle you may be on, you don't want a King Trump and you don't want a King Biden, no matter what side you may be on. Somebody say amen. We don't, so, so we don't like the idea of a king. So, so it takes us just a moment to just stop and just think about it and register. But listen, I want you to, to remember what happens in a kingdom. If we're going to be poor in spirit and the kingdom of heaven belongs to us, then we need to realize that everywhere there's a kingdom, there's a... Oh, come on now. That's beautiful. <laughs> everywhere there's a kingdom, there's got to be a, a king. Yes, it's right there in the beginning of the word. But thankfully, this king that I'm talking about is not like any earthly king. I said, thankfully, King Jesus is unlike any earthly king. He's far better than any earthly king. He, In fact, God warned them back in the Old Testament. Israel, they were so determined. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And God said, no, you don't want a king. No, let me be your God. Let me be your king. Let me be the one that rules are. But they were just bound and determined. That took them down a bad road. That's, again, another sermon for another day. But what we have to understand is this, that if we are going to be the poor in spirit and we are going to have the king, of heaven, we're going to have to embrace the idea of a king to be completely obedient to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. Now, that's where we
1: do run into trouble, because we don't want to bow down and obey anybody, but how many of you know the king gave us instructions? The king gave us a book and a way to live. In fact, this book tells us, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable
0: unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, we've got to, when we accept this kingdom, we accept the fact that there is a king, and to pray your kingdom come implies, may my kingdom
1: go. Can you say it like this? Not my will, but thy will be done, O Lord. Because it's hard
0: for God to give us anything if our hands are full. You watch me sometimes coming up here, and you'll see that sometimes I got a, I've got a lot of equipment. I've got my iPad. I've got my towel. I've got this microphone. I've got my Bible. I've got my reading glass. I've got all this. And so sometimes, have you ever had your hands full before? But it's hard. I, when I'm coming up here, it just ain't nothing else. So I told him when Joel said, can we move the pulpit? I like to open feeling when we sing. I was like, yeah, but you're going to have to get somebody to move it back because my hands are full when I'm coming up there. I can't put anything else in my hands. And when we have our hands so full of things that we cannot receive, it's hard for us to take what the king wants us to take when we've got our hands so full of
1: everything else. This beatitude is not calling for false humility or self-efficacy. In other words, where
0: we believe we can control our motivation, our behavior, and our social environment. You see, we can do those things, but only with God's help. That's being poor in spirit. It's believing that through the grace of God, that he will help us control our motivation. Remember, that's again what I was talking about, that God changes the very essence of us. Listen, I'm a firm believer. I'm a firm believer that God is still able to change lives that he can change who you are on the inside, that God can bring people in, people that all they can think about is drugs, all they can think about is money, all they can think about is sex, all they can think about is... I believe God can shake us
1: and make us a new creation and change the essence of who we are on the inside. We can't do it on our own. It's only through God's help. And this is not about
0: punishment either, as the musicians would come and take their places. It's not about
1: self-punishment. If you're familiar with Christian history, there was a practice called self-flagellation, where early Christians would physically punish themselves. This began around
0: 1200 A.D., and began in northern Italy. Where Christians, listen, I think they had a good intention in the beginning, but how many of y'all know
1: that even if you got good intentions, if you get off track, you're still in a mess? And in about 1200 A.D., It began
0: that Christians would physically punish themselves, beat themselves, hit themselves, bring physical pain to their bodies because they believed it was helping them to stay humble and poor in spirit. But you can't beat it out of yourself. It's only through the help and the grace of
1: God that He can do it. I want to give you a very quick side note here. You know, we've come a long way
0: from people so willing to please and serve God that they were willing to beat themselves to a place where now nobody wants to be inconvenienced, much less sacrifice anything. Oh,
1: help us, Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. Haven't we come a long way? That people were once willing to
0: beat themselves themselves Punish themselves. And I'm not saying that's right. I told you that's wrong. But I do believe that it came from a good intention. To now we've come to the place where nobody even wants to be inconvenienced. Well, Pastor, I just I don't know if I can come to church this Sunday. I've just got I got some other things going on. Well, Pastor, I I think I think Brother Eric mentioned Christmas this morning. I said this through a meeting we had just letting everybody know several months back, getting them ready. I'll prepare you now. I've had Christmas Day, fall on Sunday several times as pastoring. Here's, here's what I do on Christmas. Now, I some of you may be out of town. You may have to go out of town. That's, un- that's understandable if you've got to go out of town. That's un- but listen, on Christmas Day, 10 o'clock. We ain't got no Sunday school. We ain't, got nothing to we ain't got no donuts. We ain't got no coffee. Got... But on Christmas Day, the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're going to come into the house of the Lord. We're going to be here from 10 to 11. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to worship Him. I'm going to give you a short sermon. I'm not going to preach for an hour and a half. And I'm going to have you out of here at 11. So if you got family breakfast to go to, you can do that. If you got family lunch to go to, you should be able to do that too. But what I am going to say is this might be a little inconvenience how far have we come from those that were willing to just completely punish themselves now you're going to think oh God if I'm not there on Christmas he's going to preach a sermon about me how far we've come blessed are the poor in spirit theirs is the kingdom of God. It's an attitude of humility and reliance on God instead of on what we can do for ourselves. And when we do, we inherit a kingdom. A kingdom that is greater than any kingdom that's ever been on this earth. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at Starkville COG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at StarkvilleCOG.com forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.